Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everybody. My name is John. I am one of the pastors here at Orange Crest Community Church. And uh, we are continuing this message series. It's called Don't Miss This, where we've been looking at the writings of a wise man. His name was Solomon and trying to glean wisdom um, about life from it. And today we look at what we're kind of labeling the limits of our understanding. I probably don't need to convince you that there's a lot that you don't know. There's a lot I don't know. And in humanity, there's a lot that we don't know. Here's a fun example. A couple of things we don't know yet. We don't know why people yawn. I researched that for about a few five minutes, and uh, apparently there's no scientific explanation definitive. There's obviously ideas, but we don't know why people yawn. Also, take a look at this image of this mushroom. We don't know why this mushroom only grows in Texas and Japan. And no other place on earth. We just don't know. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, Two more things. The ocean. Despite its size and the impact on the lives of every organism on earth, the ocean is largely a mystery to us. More than 80% of the ocean has never been mapped or explored or seen by humans. We don't know much about the ocean. And then lastly, this is kind of cool. There are seven math problems 22 years ago that were presented, and they called them the Millennium Prize Problems. Uh, These are seven unknown things about math, and the math uh, institute, the Clay Mathematics Institute, offered uh, a cash reward of a million dollars for anyone who can solve any one of them. So if you solved all seven, you'd get seven million bucks. But that's interesting. There's still math, despite our technology, despite all the bright minds who have built upon one another, there's still a lot we don't know, even in the realm of math and science. By the way, one of those problems has been solved to date. So there's six more. So now's your chance uh, to get your calculators out and get a million bucks. Um, Those are interesting. Those aren't likely to impact my life and your everyday life. But here's another list of things we don't know that I think might be a little closer to home. First, why does injustice sometimes go unpunished? We don't know. Conversely, why does what's good and what's right sometimes go unrewarded? Or why is it that my best efforts don't always work? Or why is life just so tumultuous? Why isn't it more smooth? The Bible addresses uh, all of those questions, actually, and I'm going to share with you about those today. But first, let me ask you this, to set up sort of this posture of reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Here's a question. Who is your rocking chair person? Now, to me, a rocking chair is kind of the ultimate symbol of slowing down, reflecting on life, just taking a minute out of life. I get relaxed when I'm in a rocking chair. Now, imagine someone wise sitting next to you in a rocking chair. Uh, 
both of you rocking and talking, who would you just love to be on a porch in a rocking chair next to you with uh, and to hear about their stories of life, particularly, particularly to hear about their life lessons? For me, the immediate person that comes to my mind is my grandpa, Monty. Here's a picture of Grandpa Monty. He's with uh, his wife, my grandma, who has since passed away, and, and with my children there. But this is my dad's dad. He has great stories. He loves the Lord more than anybody else I know, I think. He's warm. He's funny. He has lots of experiences. He would be my rocking chair person right now if you ask me that question. But who is it for you? Think about that. Now, imagine you're sitting on a porch with that person, and they stop rocking for a minute, and they lean into you, and, and they, they say, I've been thinking about you. There's something I really want you to know. In fact, I need you to know this. I, I imagine you would stop rocking. You would perk up. You would even get your notepad or your phone out to take some notes. Now, let me, now we're ready to hear <laughs> from this series. This series, we've been examining the, a part of the Bible that's just like that scene of, of your rocking chair person leaning over to you and saying, I want you to know this. Uh, there's an older man with lots of experience and lots of wisdom leaning into us and saying, don't miss this. His name was Solomon. He was king of, Israel, of ancient Israel for 40 years during the 10th century uh, B.C., his life was really a mixed bag. In this series called Don't Miss This, we're kind of turning a corner today, and we're examining the conclusions that Solomon made about life. So far, for four weeks, we've been looking at different pursuits of life, but now Solomon's going to start offering us some conclusions about life. So we're going to start looking at those. I thought it'd be good right here at this turning point in the series to look a little bit more at this man, Solomon. It gives us context for these writings and for this whole series. But Solomon, he was widely known for his wisdom, for his fair judgment, for his riches. His crowning accomplishment in his time was the construction of the Jewish temple. There's two accounts. If you read in 1 Kings, uh, there's two accounts of God speaking directly to Solomon, interacting with Solomon. The first time it was in a dream. Solomon, uh, or God approached Solomon in a dream and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. That's 1 Kings 3.5. Solomon responded, Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon was already the king of Israel, and he just had this urgent need for wisdom. And that's what came first to his mind when God asked for anything. Now, God was very pleased with this, um, with this request. He granted wisdom to Solomon, and God granted him great wealth and great power, actually, since he didn't ask for those things. Listen to now to this summary of young Solomon. Here's sort of the biography. 1 Kings 4, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight. And breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of wisdom. Verse 30. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east. Greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man. Including Ethan the Ezraite. We don't know who these are, but they were apparently wise men. 
wiser than He-Man. I love that He-Man is in the Bible here. Um, Kalkol, Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. It goes on. Listen to this about Solomon. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs numbered 1,005. He described even plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssops that grow out of the walls. He also taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Men of all nations, not nearby nations, men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by the kings, by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon was not a run-of-the-mill guy. He wasn't even a pretty good teacher. He, his, his wisdom and insight, the Bible says, was measureless as the sand on the seashore. That's incredible. And beyond that, he literally had it all. He had power. He had money. He had popularity and fame. He had a giant palace. He had every single pleasure you could possibly imagine. Before the American dream was even a thing, he was living it to the max, times a thousand. But So that's young Solomon. But listen what happened by the time he got old. Time passed. Uh, he lived his life. And this is the description of Solomon in his older years. It says, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Verse 10, although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the God who granted Solomon's request and was the source of everything Solomon had, the reason for Solomon's success, Solomon disobeyed. He, he walked away. He, he took several missteps. The Bible goes on and describes the consequences that Solomon faced, like several armies rising up against his nation. Also, intense turmoil in his latter years bubbled up within the kingdom and it led to rebellions. After 40 years of reigning, Solomon died. His son took his place. And the splatter circle of Solomon's life was big. One scholar wrote this about Solomon, that the negative course set in play by Solomon's sins remained unresolved for centuries. It took centuries for this nation to recover. Now, Solomon was an interesting guy. So I've given you some context he was interesting, to say the least. At one point, he had God's favor. He rose to power. He saw incredible things. He experienced everything. And then he missed some steps in life, and he declined. This is a person we ought to pay attention to. If he got in the rocking chair next to me or you, we ought to listen. Um, if he starts sharing about life, we need to have our notepads ready. But that's exactly what we've been doing in this series. This book called Ecclesiastes, it is Solomon's teachings about his life. Reading it, it's kind of challenging. It's not in a style we're used to speaking in or reading. But it's really high or material, meaning there's a lot to gain by making the effort to glean from it. This series, it's called Don't Miss This. It's our way of framing up these lessons of Solomon. 
that he learned in his life. So don't miss what this man has to share with us. Uh, don't miss this as using Solomon's teaching. But the irony is that he did miss it. By living out of bounds, he set up his successors, his kingdom for failure. He doesn't want us to do the same, which is why he wrote down these lessons for us. And so, so far we've looked at, in the past four weeks, a lot of pursuits in life. About how life cycles, everything has a cycle, week one. Week two, we talked about pursuing pleasure. Pastor Josh shared about what that pursuit looks like. How that desire for sin just resides in all of us. Week three, we looked at choosing our life strategies and how do we pursue our goals. Uh, Pastor Bryce shared about that. And then last week, Ian Clark, he shared about pursuing advancement and what were our two truths and one lie about what contentment really is. So those have been really helpful. And today, again, this series takes a turn. Solomon offered a lot of thoughts about those pursuits, but now he's going to start landing some planes for us. He's going to offer us some conclusions. Now I'm going to be referencing now Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and chapter 8. I encourage you to read through that. Maybe after the, you listen to this, read for yourself. Um, the writing is tricky. You really have to get in and soak into it. Um, it's more like a stew than a, a progressive dinner where you get in, you, you kind of read it all together, and all the flavors come out and, and blend together. So I'm going to be walking us through chapter 7 and 8, but a little bit out of order because I think I'm getting what Solomon is trying to say to us. And, here, and here's the conclusion for today that we're going to look at. It, it is that there are limits on our understanding. This is a major conclusion that Solomon wants us to know. Um, Solomon's not saying we're limited in our understanding about that mushroom that only lives or grows in Texas and Japan or the limits of our understanding of the ocean. We're generally we're okay with that. I don't care that I don't know about that mushroom or about the ocean. I'm not embarrassed that I don't know that. I don't have a deep desire to have to know those. But Solomon is talking at a higher, more important level. He's cutting to the heart, describing our limits on our understanding of things we desperately want to understand and try to understand. Things like what will happen in the future? Why do bad things happen? What do the pursuits of my life actually lead towards. So I'm going to frame these up in, 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 in a way that makes sense to me. I'm going to tell you about three bummers and one key takeaway. My mom, growing up, she had a helpful way of shaping my perspective about life. As I ran into things that um, didn't go my way, she would say, bummer, dude. <laughs> or if my team lost, she would say, bummer, dude. Or if something unfair happened, um, bummer dude that that was sort of a, a mantra now she was loving and caring but it was actually really helpful to me to understand that there's just some bummers in life so that's how i'll frame these up so here's bummer number one from solomon it's that we aren't in control of our station in life we can't control the outcomes by station what i mean is is your our circumstances or where we're at in life uh, the position we have, the cards you were dealt in life, or sometimes it's referred to as your lot. We're, we're not in control of our station in life. We tend to spend our lives pursuing all those things that we've been looking at. Pleasure, advancement, 
happiness, contentment, success. And we try to get what we want out of life. That's actually really natural. Within the right boundaries, that's actually okay to to pursue. But what we learn from Solomon is that we are not in ultimate control of the outcomes of life. And if there was ever a man who might have been able to control his outcomes with his power and resources and wisdom, it was Solomon. But this is... This is a rocking chair moment with Solomon. He leans over to us and shares with us this paradox of life. And it's wisdom is a key ingredient to success, but it is not the magic key of life. So wisdom is key. Here's some of his uh, writings in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise person? Who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face. And the sternness of his face is changed. So wisdom is good. Also, look at chapter 7, verse 19. Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of a city. So wisdom is important, and wisdom is key. And Solomon knows, because he had it. But it's not the magic key to life. Look at uh, chapter 7 again, verse 23. I have tested all of this by wisdom. He's talking about life. I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? That's a little bit of a bummer to hear Solomon say that. Remember, his wisdom was as measureless as the sand on the seashore. And he said, it was beyond me. Life was beyond him. Also, uh, chapter 8 I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. So what what do these competing paradoxical thoughts all mean? One scholar said this about Solomon's writing, that Ecclesiastes could be accurately described as a report on the failed quest for eternal life. Solomon tried it all. He tried to unlock the the magic key of life and, and live life to the full. And in the end, he wasn't fulfilled despite all that he had. He, he actually, he, and he didn't finish well. Through these writings, he's reporting back to us about his failed attempts to control all the outcomes of life. And, and he clues us in that there's something more than wisdom. But we're gonna, I'm going to share more on that later. Wisdom isn't enough. Let's go further. Even if we had more wisdom than Solomon, which we don't, we probably can't, we would still be limited in our understanding in another way. So here's bummer number two. <laughs> we don't always get to know why. Solomon explains in chapter 7. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made one, has made the one as well as the other. Now I had to double take on this passage as I read it. It says, who can straighten what God made crooked? We normally think that following God is going to be the straight path. But actually, it's what makes sense to us, our plans, those are the ones that lay straight in front of us. So Solomon is saying we need to realize our plans are not God's plans. 
His way often looks crooked to us because it's different than ours. And Solomon asks, who can straighten what he, God, has made crooked? The implied answer is obviously no one. And it's God who brings the good times as well as the bad times. He's in charge of both of them. This is really the heart of this of the matter, and it's that God is in charge. Because God's in charge, we're not invited to understand it all, and that's a bummer. Here's another life situation that Solomon writes about, further underscoring that we don't always get to know why. Chapter 8, verse 11, uh, 14. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth, Solomon says. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. So God doesn't always strike down evil immediately. He's actually patient with people. He's merciful with people who do what's wrong. If we're honest, this sometimes doesn't sit well with us. We want the lightning bolt to come as soon as the evil thing happens when it's other people. When it's ourselves, we, uh, we're a little bit more okay with God's mercy and patience. But actually, conversely, sometimes the righteous get what we think is better suited for the wicked. And we don't know why. And here's kind of the bottom line about these first two bummers is, it will go better for you and me if we refuse to fight against God and instead receive our lot in life, receive our station in life from Him. After all, it is from Him. He's the one who's ordained it. God doesn't show us why. Sometimes it seems crooked to us, but it goes better for us to receive that. I think a key point that Solomon wants us to know is that there really is a rigid ceiling on our ability to control and understand our circumstances. Instead of trying to figure out what life is and how to navigate or manipulate things with with resources we have, maybe it's riches, maybe it's wisdom. Instead of that, Solomon wants us to aim our energy, our resource, our time at figuring out who God is. Not what life is and how does it work, but who God is. Because after all, he's in charge of it. It's a fundamentally different approach to life that Solomon is telling us. Don't miss this. And from our limited vantage point, there's a lot of things we can't understand. So try on this crooked perspective for for a minute. Maybe it's a good thing that we can't understand everything. There is someone who sees from a much higher perspective. And we can trust that someone so much more than ourselves. That someone is obviously God. He's given us a way to know him through his son Jesus. And I'm going to share more on that. But first, bummer number three. Here it is from Solomon. Our understanding is severely limited to the present. Now this is regarding time. There's really just three realms of time. There's past, present, and future. The bummer about it is our understanding is super limited to the present. And when I say the present, I mean like now, now. Like uh, 10 seconds ago is the past. Five seconds next is the future. We are super limited in our understanding of, of time. But you might say, hey, wait a minute. I have some past experiences. I remember some things about the past. 
I understand it very fairly well. And actually, that might be true. You might have a good memory. Um, You can remember some things. I personally don't have a great memory, um, but I remember some things. But Solomon, here's what he says. He leans into us, again, from the rocking chair, and he says, Don't say, why were the former days better than these? It's not wise of you to ask this. So Solomon's given us a clue here about looking in the past isn't always helpful for now. And and it's because our memory isn't always as fair as we think it is. Um, There's a lot of reasons I think Solomon says it. Here's one of them. And and there's a clip I want to show you, a little video of a psychologist explaining what our brains do after we experience certain things and why it might be less reliable than we think. Take a look at this clip. There's a puzzle about our memories of experiences. Let's call it the Disney paradox. And if you've been to one of the Disney theme parks, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If we were to sample your happiness level at, say, a couple of dozen different moments over the course of your park visit, my guess is that in a majority of those moments, you would actually be happier sitting on your couch at home. It's less humid there, less crowded. You can get a hot dog for less than 10 bucks. But as we reflect on our park visit, it might be one of the highlights of the year. Why is that? Well, psychologists know that our memories of our experiences are not really fair. You know, we don't just take an average of our moment-by-moment sensations when we reflect on our experiences. Rather, we remember snippets, scenes, moments. And in particular, there are two moments that we disproportionately remember. The peak of the experience, which is either the best or the worst moment, and the ending. So when we look back on Disney, we tend to remember the roller coaster moments, the sweet family moments, the surprises but we don't recall that moment-to-moment sweatiness and irritability. So, our understanding of the past is naturally limited. It's not wise to dwell there and compare the past to the present because we're, we're not actually comparing apples to apples. Maybe we're not remembering it exactly how it was. Or maybe the circumstances are just different now than they used to be. So regarding the past, it's helpful, but it's not the only thing we can dwell on. Now, regarding the future, Solomon simply says it this way. No one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? This isn't as much of a bummer. We sort of have already come to terms with, we don't know the future. Um, It's just one of the hard laws of life. Even the best predictive models in science are severely limited. Um, And even with... Even using some that are a little more dialed in, like maybe a storm uh, radar can predict what's going to happen. That's actually not true. It's just predicting what's happening now somewhere else and then over time what it's going to do when it gets here. But there's also no Doppler radar for if I'm going to stub my toe in five minutes or if a loved one is going to get sick or if there's going to be another war that breaks out in the world. We are just super drastically limited to understanding the present. The picture I have as I read through this uh, and kind of sitting in the stew of of chapter 7 and chapter 8, it's kind of like this word picture. It's like we're walking through the dark on a crooked path with a dim flashlight in our hand. 
The darkness just represents the limits of our understanding. The lights are not on. We don't understand everything. We can only see so far. The crooked path, it's crooked because who can make straight what God has made crooked? We're, we're limited to following the path that God puts in front of us. And then a flashlight because we're severely limited on knowing what's ahead. This is the focus on the present. We can only see maybe the next step. God allows us maybe to see, uh, have discernment to see what the next right move is, but we never see far enough to alleviate our need to trust God. So, that's the, the picture I have. Here's some more concluding thoughts. We, we have some, some bummers from Solomon. Let me now share just some key takeaways and concluding thoughts. And one is this. There is a lot riding on our response to these bummers in life. Our station, our, the limits of our understanding. There's actually a lot riding on what we do with that. Our response either makes or breaks us. It determines if we're going to be miserable or free. It determines if we're going to finish our lives well or if we're going to take a few missteps and end up not finishing well. Solomon didn't just leave us with the bummers. If you really dig in, uh, we actually see some helpful and hopeful other takeaways. There's definitely a limit on our understanding. Um, But let me first say, here's a major warning about that, about our response. And that is, don't go apathetic. Our lack of understanding, it could lead to apathy. Apathy is just a lack of motivation. It's, it's Eeyore. Um, I can't do it anyway, so I might as well not do anything at all. That, that's a picture of apathy. It's actually a reasonable response, if you think about it, to facing our, the limit of our understanding. Um, apathy is the world's conclusion. Because the world is devoid of ultimate truth without understanding God, That might be attractive to us too. Apathy puts us in league with the rest of the world. They live as if there is no God. It asks questions like, should we even care? Um, Will God, well, the Christian might ask, will God rip me off? That, That would be Christian apathy. But let me say it positively. So don't get into apathy, but saying it positively, keep moving in life. Keep moving with purpose and gusto or zest in your step. Having limits on our understanding does not mean we should give up and that we have no purpose. We actually have the chance to know God, to relate to him. This is the same God who created the world, the same God who spoke to Solomon in the dream. Um, And he is not limited in his understanding in any way. This gives purpose to our lives if we walk with him. About a thousand years after the time of Solomon, God sent Jesus to carve a new way for people to know him, to relate to him. God sent Jesus to bridge the gap between sinful and limited humanity with perfect and unlimited God. So when we put our trust in Jesus and we submit to him as Lord, we, with all of our natural limits, we get intimately connected to God who is unlimited. Listen to these verses, this is in 1 Corinthians, um, that explains what happens after we begin relating to God and after we receive his very spirit in us. It says, we, can, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. 
None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, a.k.a. Solomon didn't. Um, But because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. It goes on. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. And also, for who has known the Lord's mind, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. What this means, this is this gives so much hope to us after hearing all of the bummers about our limits of understanding through Jesus it cuts above it all it gives us hope it gives us the ability to tap into someone who isn't limited so although although we have our limits Christ has none our response uh, should not be to figure this all out for ourselves and somehow perfect ourselves because we can't Solomon proved that But we can choose to submit and align ourselves to the one who is unlimited and who also loves us. So, tucked within these writings of Solomon, there's some clear suggestions on how to move forward. Let me offer these next steps to you and consider which one uh, might be the one you need to take. Number one, and probably the most important thing, is fear God. Fear It means revere God. It means take him seriously and then do what he says. Uh, Look at Solomon's writings about this. He says, yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them. Their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Also, Solomon says, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. This is foundational for Solomon. Fear God. Most important for us, uh, maybe, maybe in the whole book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, fear God. To refuse to fear God is actually to d- deny our dependency on him. It's a pride in ourselves, and that should be abandoned because of our limits. We need to acknowledge him for who he is. He is good, he is loving, he is patient, and then we ought to trust and obey him. Something you might need to do is, um, if you walk with God, if you are a follower of Jesus, you might need to evaluate, how well do I do this? If you don't yet know God, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, the first step is, in fearing God, is beginning a relationship with Him. When we do that, we're acknowledging who He is, we're acknowledging who we are, and that we need Him in our lives. There's a, an opportunity for you to mark on your digital connection card that you want to learn more about beginning a relationship with Jesus, and we'd love to follow up with you on that. Another next step is just avoid the extremes, okay? Ecclesiastes 7, uh, it says, The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. So don't go apathetic. That would be an extreme response to our limits in life. Don't just sit down, get lazy. Don't go extremely apathetic. Also, don't go hyperactive. Don't try to attain what isn't attainable. Focus on the here and now. Pour your energy there. A third step you might consider, approach the present with urgency. 
The past is done. The future is unknowable. So put intense focus on the here and now. God has arranged your circumstances right now. God has given you now to deal with. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, remember, it might feel crooked. But don't waste resources on the past. Don't hoard for the future. What I mean by that is energy. Don't delay. It's good to save money. That's not what I'm saying. But but don't waste resources on the wrong places. Focus now. My theory is, as I read through Solomon, and maybe this is just a personal reflection, I think the people who are happiest in life are the people who are most present in the now. They're not worried about what's next. They're not sad about what was in the past. But they're here now. Fourth, next step, enjoy life as you go. (laughs) I like this one. Solomon says, So I commend the enjoyment of life. Because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink, and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in all his work, or in his work, all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. It is okay to enjoy life as we go. Life is a gift from God. There's joy in our work, you can see in that passage. There's joy as we sit and dine with people. Um, It's part of this idea of being the present. Enjoy life because it's a gift. Solomon wasn't all doom and gloom, and it's right to enjoy the life God is laying in front of you. We need to accept when it's good and when it's bad and trust him and obey him despite our limits. I want to pray to close our time. God, thank you for the guidance you've given us in your word. Thank you for using Solomon to write things down for us so that we don't miss important things in life. God, I pray that you uh, would allow those of us to take the right next step who need to take a step. That might be Um, beginning a relationship with Jesus. That might be uh, seeking how well are we at walking and fearing God. It might be that we need to evaluate our focus on the present. Whatever it is, God, would you guide us in knowing how to take that step. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for offering us a way to know you despite the limits on our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.